Hi everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 17 of Yoga Land. This week, my guest is Ayurvedic practitioner Nika Quistgard. Nika is an internationally recognized consultant, trainer, and practitioner in Ayurveda, and is the founder of Ayurmama.com. When I first learned the basics of Ayurveda years ago, I found them so helpful. I'd been living my life oblivious to how the environment around me affected my sensitive constitution, and I often alternated between being anxious or grouchy or just ungrounded more often than was necessary. Learning Ayurveda felt very logical, but it just felt like a comforting way to understand how to take care of myself. So that's kind of what we're going to focus on today. And we're going to focus on specific self-care ideas for calming the vata dosha when it goes out of balance. And whether you've never heard the words vata dosha uttered or whether you already know what your prakriti is, this episode offers enough background about Ayurveda paired with creative self-care ideas and reminders that I think it will be very helpful to everyone. Before we get started with the interview, I just want to mention that Nika has a lot of helpful information and resources on her website, ayurmama.com. One of them is a questionnaire that helps you figure out the blueprint of your dosha balance. And she talks about this in the episode. It's your property or your just the blueprint of, of your own constitution. So I'll put links to those in the show notes. Enjoy the episode. So we are going to talk about self-care today and specifically self-care during times of vata imbalance. And when we were emailing back and forth, trying to figure out what we were going to focus on, we both agreed pretty quickly that it's helpful pretty much any time of year for pretty much everyone to have some simple routines to rely on for grounding and calm when things get stressful or when we get overtired or when there's... um, even when there's a a more serious, intense life trauma. So before we get into the specifics, let's take a really, really big step back and talk about what Ayurveda is for those who are unfamiliar with Ayurveda. Yeah, Ayurveda, even the word can be a little challenging. It's a long word with a few syllables in it, but Ayur means life and Veda means knowledge or wisdom. So Ayurveda is just the overall general body of wisdom that allows us to understand life and our own physiology, our own particular life, and life around us as well. So it's very broad, but it's also very practical. Let's go into now what the the doshas really are, and perhaps even some common misunderstandings that people make um, when they when they're learning about learning about the doshas. It's a very common question that you see as headlines in magazine articles that usually come before like a survey questionnaire. And you hear people say, oh, what's your dosha? What's my dosha? So it's this kind of fun question. It's kind of like, are you a Libra or a Scorpio? Or, you know, it's kind of fun. And there are these three main life force energies that Ayurveda is really based on. They're called the three doshas. And the most substantive one is called kapha, K-A-P-H-A. Then we have pitta, and then we have the most subtle vata, V-A-T-A. So each of the doshas is actually, it is a force, 
but it's mostly an idea. It's kind of a shorthand way of talking about a collection of sensory qualities and what they tend to do in nature and in our bodies, because our bodies are just, you know, we are animals, we're part of nature, we arise from it, and we live in it and with it. And in the end, we go back to it. So there's no difference between the way we see the forces playing out around us in nature and within our own selves. But the idea of what's my dosha comes from a concept in Ayurveda that we each have a unique constitution, sort of a blueprint of who we are. And when you think about that, that's not too odd. You know, we have different breeds of dogs, right? We have Chihuahuas Mm -hmm. and St. Bernards and Labradors. (laughs) And from the very moment they're born, even before they're born, they have certain qualities, you know, sizes and kind of natures. And they even have kind of personality characteristics that are common to the breed, that kind of thing. The idea behind what's my dosha would be better stated, what's my prakriti? Prakriti sounds like a mm-hmm. kind of hard word to say, P-R, uh, you could say P-R-U-K-R-T-I, Prakriti. But this means nature. And a better question than asking what's my dosha is, what is my nature? Because the truth is, we mm-hmm. all have all these doshic energies in us. Without them, none of us would be alive. And all the doshic energies are influencing us in different ways and are around us in nature, in our environment. So they each have certain qualities. They each have certain things that they do in the body, but we all have all of them. So the reason it's important to know, or interesting maybe is a better word, to know what your nature is, is that from the time of conception, it's said in the Ayurvedic texts, each person has a certain combination or percentage of each of these doshas that makes up who they are. And this happens through four factors, which are the contribution of the mother and of the father, right? We're familiar with that, basically the genetic contribution. Mm -hmm. And then this is where it gets even more interesting, the doshic situation at the moment of conception. So how the environment Ah. and the emotions and all that are coming into play at the the moment of conception. And then finally, the mystery factor, (laughs) uh, an individual's karma. So these four factors Mm. kind of create at the moment of conception that bio blueprint for, you know, how tall is the person going to be? What is their eye color? What is their build? Do they have little bird bones or are they built like a truck? You know, what are they like? What Mm -hmm. What are their digestive tendencies? All the factors of the structure, the kind of normal for them, physiological functioning and even personality stuff is pretty much formed right there at the moment of conception. And parents know this, you know, Ayurveda is also referred to as the mother of medicine. And that's partly because Mm. it's the oldest medicine that was codified. And it looks like streams of Ayurveda influence Chinese medicine, Tibetan medicine, Unani medicine, which is the Middle Eastern medicine, even Greek medicine. So I wasn't there back at that time, 5,000 years ago or longer. So I can't say for sure. But Ayurveda is called the mother of medicine because it's influenced looks like anyway, so many other traditional medicines. But I also think of it as the mother of medicine in a much more practical and intimate way, because a mother, you know, you're a mom now, and you have a beautiful daughter, and you know her, and you're always looking to see how you can know her better, right? And when you have Mm -hmm. more kids, if you do, or a mother with more kids, 
You know, I always love to hear a mother say, no, I don't treat them all the same because they're all so different, you mm. know, and moms will sometimes say, wow, I can't believe how different, you know, this kid is from this one and from this one. I've got five yes. and they're all radically different individuals. And, you know, a good mom will also give each of her kids, you know, different limitations or whatever, because she can tell, well, this one, if you leave him out on the beach for more than an hour, he's just you know, going to overheat and he's going to be cranky and he's not going to do, you know, he's going to get sunstroke, whereas this one needs more sun or whatever. So you customize, right? So this idea about what's yeah. my dosha, literally dosha means fault, actually, because honestly, you don't really have to pay your doshas too much attention unless there's too much of one of these energies starting to cause a problem. Oh. So if you look at the direct translation in Sanskrit, it means fault. But prakriti or your nature mm. is really what you want to know. And that is described. You know, you're never defined by the doshas, but you can be described by what percentage of each of these vata, pitta, and kapha influenced that moment of conception that made you, you know, who you yeah. are, like you, acute, uh, petite, sensitive, you know, enthusiastic, you know, all these qualities. You're very, you're like a chihuahua. I am like <laughs> a chihuahua. chihuahua. <laughs> Don't cross a chihuahua. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No. Because they kind of yap pretty up. quickly. <laughs> Can, you know, and yeah. that's actually a characteristic of that vata influence is enthusiastic and rapid moving, but sometimes too ungrounded. So for that child in the, the family of a mom's kids, you know, you'd want to give that Vata kid less exposure to the windy situations and more grounding and more routine and more warmth and more warm oil and more, right. you know, warm, easily digested, nutritive foods and all that kind of stuff that would be good for the chihuahua <laughs> that you are. Yes. 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 Exactly. Yes. I love that metaphor that it's um of the mothering medicine because you know, you can think of it as mothering yourself too, like learning to mother yourself if perhaps, you know, you're you you didn't figure that out growing up, you can kind of go back and figure out well what yeah, what how do I feel when I've been out in the sun too long? How do I feel when I'm out in the wind? And, and you can kind of adjust, think of it that way. I love the, in, in general, even in like po positive psychology, I love the, the reparenting yourself concept. I just think it's so helpful to be able to care for yourself in that way. So, well, and to have that kind of caring, loving attitude that, you know, a great mother, you know, the iconic mother, whether we had that mother or not, we can imagine, you know, they just love us and they see us, yeah. right? Yeah. And they are constantly there to kind of guide us, to administer to us. You know, it's like many bowls of soup, many foot massages, many time for bed, honeys, you know, many, did you brush your teeth? Many, come and show me, are your hands clean? You know, that's really Ayurveda. It's repetitive, it's gentle, and it's very dynamic to the needs of the individual and the individual at different times. Yeah. Because... That's been a big misconception about the what's my dosha question is if you identify, quote unquote, your dosha, then, OK, I'm a vata. So I should drink vata tea and I should eat a vata diet and I should buy the vata skincare and et cetera, et cetera. Not necessarily, you know, a good mom, she notices the changes through her child's development and through 
different situational things, like maybe a new school year is coming up and maybe the child's a little anxious or maybe there's a change in routine or, you know, maybe it's super hot out or maybe there's something going on in the family or whatever. So a mom is dynamic and constantly responding, which is another reason that it makes sense to call Ayurveda, the mother of medicine. So that's my kind of pet peeve against the whole dosha thing. It's great for selling products. And I actually have no problem with products that are marked, you know, for vata, for pitta, for kapha. But we should be using them dynamically so that maybe a vata person might actually need to use a pitta calming tea in the summertime or if they're having heated indigestion, you know, that kind of thing. Right. So we want to know what our nature is, but we want to pay attention to what's actually happening now. Before we dive into talking more about the vata dosha, I just want to say for real beginners, what I find the most valuable about Ayurveda is that it is not a top-down kind of investigation, which means that you don't have to have a whole lot of concepts in your mind and a whole lot of theory in order to get some practical value out of it. It's more of a bottom-up type endeavor where you're paying attention to your actual experience and just tuning in, like you were saying earlier, to, you know, how, how do I do with all this heat, that kind of thing. So you can actually practice a good form of balancing Ayurveda without the doshas in your mind at all. You don't even have to have heard about them. There are doctors who don't even pay that much attention to the doshas. What they pay attention to are the sensory qualities and their opposites. If you wanted to start this kind of mindful and phenomenal, you know, paying attention and seeing if you can take better care of yourself, you could pay attention to three pairs of opposites that I think are really fundamental, which are hot and cold, wet and dry, and stable or erratic, you know, mobile, moving. And with these three sets of reference points, you can really pay attention to a lot and make some good decisions for yourself. So let's go back to the basics of how the three doshas are characterized and then what happens when vata goes out of whack. This is not such a great technical term. I just used out of whack. (laughs) (laughs) It's perfect. It's perfect. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. So these three doshas kind of move from the most substantive or sort of gross, tangible one up to the most subtle one. Because the doshas are made up, each of them are made up of two of what we call in Ayurveda, the five great elements. So the idea is, from an Ayurvedic standpoint, that everything in phenomena, you know, all living creatures and all matter, and including thoughts, even subtle matter, are made up of these ideas of the elements, which I'm sure everyone's pretty familiar with, earth, water, fire, air, and space. 
So each of these has their qualities, right? Earth is heavy and dense and you can, you know, hold it in your hand and build something out of it. Water is moistening and lubricating and flowing. And fire is hot, of course, very hot and uh, transformative if you put something in it. We know what air feels like, you know, on our skin, in our hair. And as we breathe in and out, we know about the lightness and the movement of air. And then space is interesting because it's kind of hard to think about when, when you just try to describe it. But space is the space in which all these things are happening. So it's kind of a void, but it's a void in which, you know, I'm negating the word void by saying it's a, it's a void in which something exists. So it's a space in which something is there. So kappa is made up of those first two most substantive elements mostly earth and secondarily water. And so in our bodies, kappa is our structure. It's all the fluids in our body. It is, you know, the mass of us, our bone, our muscle, our cerebrospinal fluid, our plasma, the ocular fluid in our eyes, all of this. And then mucous membranes, all that is kappa. So we all have at least some of that kappa dosha. The second one is pitta. And pitta is made up of fire mainly and secondarily water, which is interesting because most people will say, well, that just cancels everything out, (laughs) fire and water. Right. But we're looking for the sensory qualities, right, of the elements, not actually mixing them together. So the sensory qualities then that we get are hot, penetrating, mobile, these kinds of things, sharp, right? So something like steam is a good embodiment of pitta. It transforms things, it penetrates things, it moves in, right? That kind of thing. And then with vata, our favorite dosha of the day today, we've got air and space. And so again, that sounds pretty uh, non-consequential in a way. But in fact, vata is the most important dosha. Because it is so light, it is the most likely to go out of balance Of all the different types of diseases that are categorized in Ayurveda and clinical Ayurveda, there are many, many more vata diseases than any of the other doshas have. And also vata is the leader of all imbalances typically because vata represents the movement in our body, whereas kapha is our structure and our moisture. Pitta is, I didn't really talk about this, but pitta is our digestive and metabolic capacities. It's our capacity to transform whatever we take in into usable energy, right? Vata governs all movement in our body. So while it sounds very light and inconsequential, without movement, what do you have? Nothing happens. No (laughs) digestion happens. No breathing happens. No. Yeah. Wow. Got a dead body really fast. Yeah. So you can think of vata in a way as the nervous system and all the messages coming in and going out and then all the movement that is uh, motivated by these signals coming in and out through our nerves, right? So vata is incredibly important and it's also so fine and so subtle and most subject to being knocked out of whack, as you say, because it's so light, And so what we find, and especially in today's modern world, where we have so many things that are always ready to knock us out of balance, uh, we have a lot of imbalance for all these reasons, regardless of your property, your nature, 
Vata imbalance is probably going to be the first the first event in a domino effect of imbalances. Yeah. How do people describe like if a someone a patient came to you and you were sort of doing an assessment, like what would a classic what would their what would their description of the way a vata imbalance feel? What would it sound like to you? Oh, that's a great question. So the first thing that I notice as an Ayurvedic practitioner right away is they talk about symptoms that come and go, come and go. Oh. And without any particular rhythm to them, especially. So things like I slept well for four nights and then I couldn't sleep. And then I then I was kind of okay. Then I was up for a while. No particular pattern, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. A disruption, irregularity, like the wind. You never know when it's coming. You never know how strong it's going to be or if it might just you know, not manifest for a while, be still. So just like the wind, you see these kinds of symptoms coming and going. There may be pain, which is in the nervous system, right? Mm. There may be a hyperactivity of the nerves. When we get things like nervous belly and and our digestion kind of goes on hyperdrive, that's pure vata. Vata's main seat in the body is actually the colon, Partly because that's a place where there's space, right? And literally where there is wind, but also because the gut, the lower gut is so rich in nervous tissue and it's very subtly reactive to what we eat. You know, we have digestive changes if our sleep is off, if we change time zones, all that kind of stuff. Usually the first thing to go is people's regularity, as we say. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And that's really the root of vata in the physical body. So we see a lot of irregularity with a vata imbalance, and we see it maybe manifesting in a lot of different places, coming and going, playing hide and seek with us. But especially in the nervous system and in the colon, those are the main places that we we recognize that vata is really, you know, creating havoc. We also always see mental and emotional, you know, sort of outcome from these disturbances. Things like fear, things like anxiety, worry, racing thoughts without any particular, you know, any particular issue, but just like a lot of thinking. We also see excessive talking. Mm-hmm. Um, we see a lot of dreaminess, a lot of visionary type thought, but not a lot of practicality. You know, you can take the whole idea of being ungrounded, you know, as far as you like, you can imagine someone incredibly ungrounded. They might think they're being incredibly spiritual, but they're actually sometimes just being really disconnected from reality, which is not the same as spiritual. So there can be more delusion and more confusion with a really extreme vata imbalance. Right. And so can the imbalance come from different um, elements? For example, like could the imbalance come from what's going on in the environment around you or the imbalance could come from going through a really stressful emotional time? Yeah, it could come from either place. Okay. And I think we all have experience of that. Um, Well, just yesterday, I was walking my dog down the road here out in the countryside where we live in beautiful New Jersey near the Delaware River. It was a beautiful evening with a golden light everywhere and just so pleasant walking along. And my dog is really well-trained and well-behaved. And we're just humming along down the road. And suddenly some really fast, ferocious dog came charging across his big yard, barreling right at us and attacked my dog. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was just 
and there's nowhere to go and there's nothing you can do. You know, fortunately, I had someone with me and he was able to pull that dog off of my dog. But you can imagine. And then actually the woman called her dog back and the dog went back. And then again, the dog charged at us. And, you know, you can't really run away because the dog's just going to chase you. And so a sudden surprise like that, you know, I'm going along happy. My digestion is fine. Yeah. <laughs> my mood and everything. <laughs> Perfect. But it did take me, you know, once we got to safety and all, um, you know, and I stay calm in an emergency or whatever, but so I'm not really, I'm not really deeply traumatized by it, even though it was a surprising and unsettling thing and definitely induced some fear for a few minutes. But I noticed it took me about a half an hour for my nervous system to completely reset. Yeah. So we can have a small trauma, or of course there can be big traumas, and we know that that will affect us. Even when, you know, my reasonable mind is like, wow, that that was kind of weird, but, you know, it's over now, and I'll talk to them about, you know, taking care of their dog better, or we won't go down that path, or whatever. It's not a consequential thing. The dog didn't get hurt. Right. But my nervous system, that vata got triggered. And I really, I know better than to sit right down and have a big meal after that. You know, it, it's really important that even though my mind is okay, my whole system needs to be okay before I ask it to take on another job like digesting. Just be really uh, literal and defined. You've said that the, that the Vata Dosha is kind of a shorthand for a constellation of qualities. So let's talk through those, what those qualities are. They are dryness, lightness, that mobility, mostly irregularity, those things. Those are really the qualities. Yeah. And so when you're, when we're talking about calming Vata down, you apply the opposite qualities. Right. So I sat down somewhere. I compressed my feet. (laughs) You know, it's almost like, yeah, Yeah. I, I squeeze my feet a little bit. Partly that brings the energy down into the lower part of the body, which is, like I said, the colon is the main root of vata. And we want to bring our energy down and not like amp it up and get awful of a lot of talking, a lot of doing stuff, a lot of, you know, revving it up, want to bring it down. So compressing, containing, right, is the opposite of that hypermobility. Oh. Um, I, oh, I didn't say, but I put some lavender lotion on my feet when I did that. And that's moistening, which is the opposite of dryness. I did also drink a glass of room temperature water, which just kind of hydrates everything and softens everything in my system and also puts a little weight in my belly, which is the opposite of lightness. Yeah. So instead of snacking on, you know, popcorn or ice chips or something crunchy and something that's going to create a lot of drying crackly sensations up in the upper region of my being in my head, I want to drink something that's going to kind of weight me down low and bring more liquid into my body. I love how this is so intuitive for you, you know, that you had to actually think about these specific things (laughs) that you did, right? Like it's just so intuitive. Oh, I compressed my feet. Like I would never think to compress my feet, (laughs) but for you, you almost forgot because it's just, you're so accustomed to taking care of yourself in this way. Okay. So this makes me think, what are some really classic things that we might do in our daily life and that we might be really unaware of that could, you know, exacerbate Vata? Like I'll just say for me, I remember when I went for my first Ayurvedic consultation 
it was like first thing in the morning and I was drinking and I a, like giant iced coffee. Oh, that's classic. <laughs> and the woman looked at me and she said, I, I just don't think that's going to be a good part of your morning routine. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I was drinking something cold, which is mm-hmm. Vata and provoking, right? Something cold, something stimulating coffee. Very stimulating. Which right. I actually still do drink coffee, but well, that's another conversation. And, and also something light. Like I hadn't had a real Any food. breakfast, <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> I hadn't had a real breakfast. So what are some other things that we might, you know, that are just common things that people do in Western culture that, yeah, yeah, that exacerbate a lot of things, um, especially in our American culture. So we eat while standing up or driving or running around doing chores. You know, mm-hmm. we do a lot of splitting our attention and moving around while eating, which is really hard on that vata route. Uh, we, um, what else do we do? That's really classic. Coffee on an empty stomach is pretty classic. Yeah. You know, I'm, I don't think that everyone needs to avoid coffee. It really depends on how well it's working for you. Um, but I like to see people have at least a handful of almonds, you know, first some water in the morning before they hit the coffee and maybe a, a little protein or something with that coffee to at least mitigate the harsh effects. And you can still get the other effects that you like and have your, you know, happy coffee moment. And probably <laughs> not cold coffee like I was doing. Right. right. Like- and not cold coffee. You know, maybe if you're having it on an early afternoon, hot summer day right. and you are going to do that. But not, you know, first thing in the morning. Yeah. Another thing that's real classic that almost everyone is guilty of these days is just not having any kind of daily routine. You know, Mm. they wake up whenever they have to. They hit the ground running. They're, like I said, eating while they're driving to work and also talking at the same time. Mm. And they never... Vata needs, again, that containment. Like I talked about compressing my feet. We also want to kind of compress the sections of our day into recognizable entities, Mm. which is really nice for the nervous system. As a mom, again, Ayurveda is the mother of medicine. You probably have seen that if Sophia misses a meal or something, you know, it just provokes her things, being more sensitive to imbalance, right? Things are not good if our child misses a meal. <laughs> it exactly. Is really, it is like disaster zone. Right. The emotions just start to leak through and there's just nothing to hold on to, right? And so keeping our blood sugar, you know, on a rhythmic path so that it's not jagging all over the place because the Vata characteristic, just like you described, Sophia, not really wanting to be reined in in any way, even though she will be happier if she could allow it, the Vata wants to expand. So we don't tend to want to sit down for our meals. But if we do, we're going to have much calmer, sustained alertness and focus, which is going to give us the satisfaction that we really want. Mm-hmm. You know, instead, we get unhinged before we even out of bed in the morning. We wake up anxious. We, you know, read the news, check our emails right away. That's classic. Turn on the electronics right away. That really provokes vata imbalance, all the electronic, very subtle, penetrating kind of energy, right, from the screens and all that information that's coming in a non-coordinated way on different topics that we have different feelings about. You can handle that, of course, but you don't need to start your day with that. How about, you know, having an hour of milling through your house, organizing things and kind of starting slow, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, 
and that's a real classic. People literally are very anxious the moment they wake up and need to check their phones mm-hmm. for all kinds of input right away. Mm-hmm. So we don't protect ourselves at all. And we don't have a gating or a rhythmic process where we're like, okay, now we're going to let it in. And now we're not going to let it in. Mm-hmm. So there's two things that come to mind from what you just said. The one that I, I think is important for people to hear is that so much of learning this kind of self-care is context, right? So like yes. you said, on a hot summer day in the afternoon, having a popsicle or having a homemade popsicle, of course, <laughs> or uh, an iced coffee might be suitable. So in other words, there are no um, like hard and fast laws that you have to no. right adhere to all the time. And the same thing with even the morning routine, like everyone's going to have mornings where they have to get up and hit the ground running or when they, they sure. you know, when something's due and they have to check in or whatever. But to know that you have another option and that you can incorporate routines and actions that are just going to make you feel better and that you have something to come back to. When you, when you get out of balance, I think is so helpful. So like, what would you recommend as kind of a simple morning routine, wake up routine for someone who is going through a period of, of high Vata? Mm, That is great. It's hard to not check your electronics. If that's one of the ways that you deal with feeling out of balance is to kind of grab onto that. But if you can avoid electronics, let's say for half an hour for starters and breathe and stretch when you wake up and go and have a nice glass of warm water, maybe with lemon in it and stretch a little and feel yourself in your body and know that this is going to take several mornings until you don't feel anxious about it, you know, Mm -hmm. not going to your go-to distractions right away. And giving yourself that time. I, I was listening to your podcast number four with Sally Kempton about fear. And it was so great. And I loved what you said in the intro about your own experience with dealing with fear, which is extremely Vata emotion. And how instead of, you know, attacking it in different ways, that the best way you found is to be deliberate and confront, you know, whatever it is but do it with a real gentle tenderness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that is such perfect wisdom in dealing with vata imbalance. You know, if you chase your daughter around and duct tape her to a chair, that's not going to help, right? <laughs> yes. No, it's true. It's true. <laughs> so we have to do the same thing with ourselves. And I do this with the women that come to see me or that I meet online for consultations is, you know, is there something that you already know you want in your morning routine? But you can't, it's that you know will be calming and balancing and grounding, but you just haven't broken your kind of bad habits. You haven't let go of your anxious behavior enough to go ahead and give it a try and try it enough so you give it a chance to get some traction, you know? Yeah. Because this isn't rocket science, you know, Ayurveda is common sense. Right. But one of the ways that I kind of know that I'm, I am classic Vata as well is that, and I, it drives me crazy, but, and I'm working on it. But I kind of always go through the day feeling like I don't have enough time. So for me, it's like the idea of of warm oil, which is I know one of the the things that you've talked about is like a classic way to um, calm Bata. The idea for me of applying warm oil to my entire body is like, oh God, who has the time for that? (laughs) But my husband does it every day. Like he is just, he really relies on, he loves the scent he loves the feeling on his body, on his skin. He has very dry skin and I watch him do it and he makes time to do it, you know? So 
it's like you said, it's some of it is like coaxing yourself into, into just making the time to do some simple things that will make you feel better. Yeah. You have to go back to mothering yourself. You know, there's, I don't think there's any stage in life that we don't still need a mother. And like you said, that mother can be you, you can mother yourself. So you kind of adopt that, you know, like, I know you don't really want to do it, but honey, don't you feel better when you do? Right, 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 right. <laughs> and you just talk to yourself. <laughs> so, so what about food choices? Like what kinds of um, food choices are helpful when you're going through um, an intense Vata time? Of course, that's really going to depend, you know, on the specific individual, but in general, What's going to be most helpful are easily digestible, so not frozen, not cold, but warm, maybe a little bit liquidy, a little bit oily, not fried, but, you know, things like casserole, soups, Mm -hmm. stews, that kind of thing Mm -hmm. that just feels comforting, gives you some good nutrition and has some kind of warmth in the spices, whether it's cooked garlic and onion, or maybe if you like to go with Indian spices, things like cumin, coriander, not hot chili peppers. Ginger is fantastic, Mm. whether it's fresh or dry. Fresh tends to kind of warm up your whole body, whereas dry ginger stokes your Agni, your digestifier, nicely right in the belly and kind of helps with your digestifier. Hmm. So, and then eating those meals, almost as important as what you're eating, is eating at the right time, which is at mealtime in a calm place where you can really connect with and enjoy your food. And then sit for about five minutes after you finish your meal and just feel fed, feel nourished. Notice that you are okay. Notice that you just took something in and that now it's, you know, it's nourishing you mm-hmm. because we, sometimes we don't give our nervous system a chance to recognize that we got something and we go around kind of like hungry or unsatisfied the rest of the time. Mm. So that timing is really important in addition to what we're eating. And then, you know, not eating too little, not skipping meals and not eating too much, not eating things like ice cream in the dark winter night. <laughs> Yes. When we don't have the fire for it, you know, yes. and it's just going to cause us problems. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, like I said, I, just a few simple things that I've incorporated it have been helpful to me over the years and knowing when to not eat cold foods and when, when a hot food is really going to be helpful to me has just been completely game changing. So simple, so simple and yet so powerful. Right. Right. In the morning, this is a kind of a specific question, but in the morning, do you recommend it eating a really hot meal or is it okay if it's just kind of room temperature? Oh, room temperature is absolutely fine, okay. especially if you're taking your time, you know, chewing well, enjoying, enjoying your meal actually helps you digest it more. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I like warm, you know, not hot and yeah. not cold, but maybe a little warmer than room temperature, you know, about, about the temperature of the body is kind of nice. Then the body doesn't have to do anything more to it. You know, it's very assimilatable. And then in terms of yoga practice, what are some ways that, what are some things that you can incorporate into your yoga practice that are calming for Vata? One thing that most yoga teachers learn is this idea of counterbalancing, right? If you are doing a back bend, then you want to do a forward bend. If you're inhaling, then you want to exhale. That's Ayurveda, that kind of balance. So yoga teachers already have some 
should already have some intuitive idea of this balancing idea. If you're doing yoga, well, I think the most important thing is not necessarily what you're adding, but the decisions you're making about what kind of practice is suitable for you on a given day or at a given time. So what we tend to do, again, especially in America, and I've just had experience with women all over the world, and I notice these things, especially with Americans, is that what we tend to do is we get very fascinated with a particular personality or a particular style of yoga, and we always do that, and we always kind of do it the same way. So we don't modify necessarily our intensity or our goals, depending on what our needs are. So the first most important thing is just like we've been talking about with our other decisions in life, oh, what kind of practice would be good for me today, right? Yeah. How about that? Yeah, so let's just start there. (laughs) You know, and it doesn't mean you can't do your favorite practice, but you can modify. You can maybe elongate your breath and do it slower or in a more investigatory way. Or, you know, if you need this kind of more vigorous, faster vinyasa type approach to your practice that day, you can, you know, hook into that. But to know what you need, do you need fast or slow? Do Mm -hmm. you need hot or cooling down kind of thing? Mm -hmm. And then approach your practice in that very, you know, slightly therapeutic way that it's, it could be a subtle difference, but it can make all the difference. Yeah. I'm drawn to practices. um, I'm not necessarily fast, but I do like to feel like I've built up some heat in my body. So that would be balancing for Vata, wouldn't it? Yeah. It depends specifically, you know, I mean, I'd have to like, really get familiar with what you're doing exactly, but absolutely heat is good. And also stability is good. So classically, um, we say things like, I was talking about compression earlier. So forward bends, especially seated forward bends, Janushishasana, that kind of thing, where the pelvic area gets compressed, child's pose. Those are classically straight on vata calming poses. You're compressing the lower abdomen, which is the seat of vata, Mm -hmm. and that helps contain it. And those are calming poses when you think about it, right? Mm -hmm. Especially when you have a little pressure on your forehead as it's resting on the ground, which is another good place to compress, to calm the nervous system. Mm -hmm. And then standing poses are great because they develop that core and that stability that we want to rely on more when you have vata going on, but not in a forceful way. Right. You know, in that strengthening, strength from the inside out kind of way. So even things like um, weightlifting are great for vata if it's done, you know, slowly and with care. Really good to develop the muscle mass and that core strength. That is so interesting. I've just started weightlifting in the past like 18 months and it's completely transformed my yoga practice. I feel so much more stable. Yes. That's what you want because Vata people tend to have more hypermobility and they like to throw themselves around maybe, (laughs) but that's not necessarily going to bring out, you know, their best potential. So it's fine to heat up, but you just also want to keep an eye on those other things, like what's going to be grounding for you, what's going to calm your nervous system, and what's going to give you that integrated effect where you feel, you know, that perfect after class glow where you just feel, you feel very contained, you feel very stable, your mind is calm, your body feels strong and flexible, and you just feel like, ah, right? Just, mm. Yeah, you don't feel you don't feel overworked and depleted, which is I think a common thing that I, you know, vatas can do to themselves. Like overworked, depleted, um, 
so that you're like falling into Shavasana. That's not necessarily no. a balanced practice. That's a classic Vata pattern is wired and tired. Like go for it, you know, and you're kind of fueling your efforts kind of based on your dreams a little bit. Like I'm going for this yeah. idea I have in my mind or what he said last Tuesday. I love that idea. I'm going for that idea. And then you go for it and then, you know, you have to collapse after that. Right. There's the idea of Langana and Brahmana in Ayurvedic practice, you probably, I mean, in, yeah, Ayurveda and in yoga practice. And in yoga, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so that idea, you know, do I want to build or do I want to scrub and diminish? What am I trying to do here? Mm-hmm. It's really helpful when I'm thinking about what kind of yoga practice you want to do. So for teachers who are teaching, if they notice in the classroom that pretty much everyone is in a high vata state, um, like maybe during a cold time of year, windy time of year, or maybe even like a holiday time of year, Mm -hmm. would you recommend similar things that we just talked about, like more forward bends? Sure, definitely. And there are other things, you know, as yoga teachers, we also control the environment. We're not only asking our students to do asana or vinyasa or whatever the practices are, but, you know, what kind of music are we using? What kind of tone of voice? What kind of room temperature? Um, a lot of yoga teachers introduce aromatic oils into some part of their class. So which oils are we using? And are these warming, calming, stabilizing kinds of sensory, uh, details that we're bringing in, or are they more stimulating, drying, light, lightening kinds of things? Mm -hmm. So if we see that our class overall could benefit from a more Vata type Vata calming, I want to say, class, we can, you know, slow down and warm up our voice that day instead Mm. of like, go girls, go. Instead of that, we want to say, you know, we don't have to get fluffy. We want to be grounded and we want to be very present, Mm -hmm. but we want to invite them to calm down, slow down, you know, invite that more integrated experience. Right. Mm -hmm. So you're, I mean, it's just the same thing we've been talking about. Like it's, you're guiding them because they're, they might want to push, push, push and go th- keep going through that wired and tired cycle. It's like guiding them into um, more um, embodiment, more embodiment. Yeah. Yeah. And then what about Shavasana for Vata? Oh, I could go there right now. <laughs> <laughs> Shavasana is great. And I also have found, you know, I, I have done quite a bit of yoga teaching myself. I don't do it a lot these days, but I love the experience of it. And one thing I like to do with my students is toward the end of Shavasana or somewhere in there where you, you know, you're asking your students to relax and surrender to their breathing and to whatever, whatever way you're guiding them to have that deep relaxation. Maybe as they're coming out, when you ask them to, you know, come back into the body, wiggle fingers and toes, take a breath before they sit up. I like to ask my students to take this moment to make a wish for themselves Hmm. that's going to lead them to maintain through the day. You know, we love our after effect of class, but what about the rest of the day to somehow protect or maintain or stay connected to taking care of themselves through the day um, so that they can enjoy this peace and stability and self-assuredness that we love from our yoga practice so much. You know, they might suggest, you know, you might make a wish that you remember to really sit down and give your lunchtime its full due today. Mm -hmm. Or, you you know, whatever that is for you that's going to keep you 
in better balance and hopefully contain Vata that much more. You know, I'm going to go to bed on time today or whatever that is. I um, love that. I love yeah, that. Make a wish. <laughs> yeah, that's so nice because I mean, I think what we've kind of, or kind of has come through in this conversation is that, you know, it's all about just making choices for yourself throughout the day, you know, and being aware of what your choices are. And I think this conversation helps so much. And so I love the idea of adding a wish because it's like, it almost takes the responsibility of like, oh, I have to make this perfect choice. It's like, <laughs> no, I want something good for myself. So how do I manifest that? How do I make this good thing continue to happen throughout my day? I'm so glad you love that because health is really it's dynamic and it can't be calculated. You know, we can't just spit out, well, eat these things, do these things, you'll be healthy. Right, right. It's very dynamic it and our attitude so and our care is so important. You know, we've all gone to doctors who are technically like, oh, they're the best cardiologists or whatever. But when the bedside manner is off, we almost can't really care about how good they are. You know, it's hard. Yeah. And we don't have to do that to ourselves. Uh, you and I used to joke back in the yoga journal days, you were my first editor. <laughs> and I love that you were. And here we are today. Wow. More than how many years later? A lot. I know. <laughs> I think it's 15 or yeah, something. Probably. So, but we used to laugh about the checklists in magazine articles of all the things you're supposed to do, oh, you know, to be more beautiful or, you know, take care of yourself. And the list would just go on and on. And we don't need that. Yeah. You know, that's not helpful. What we need is that motherly attitude of what's going to make the difference for you, honey, today yeah. to yeah. be your best self, right? Yes. I love it. Thank you so much, Nika. I just love talking to you. I love your approach and um I just appreciate I appreciate it so much. It's so much my pleasure to spend time with you. I always enjoy our time together. Yeah, I can't wait to um to talk to you some more about more things. We'll do it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'd love to hear what you think of this episode. Let me know by either tweeting at me at Yogaland Podcast, or you can go to Jason Crandall Yoga on Facebook and send us a message. Show notes for this episode can be found at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 17. And as I mentioned at the top of the episode, I will put links to Nika's articles and her Prakriti questionnaire. And she is also offering a free online course right now, which is a great overview of Ayurveda and it's called No Ayurveda. So I highly recommend it. Enjoy your practice this week, you guys, and let me know what you thought of this episode. Mm -hmm.